Welcome to Diverse City Church Sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's message by Pastor Ray. How many of y'all been here for all 10 weeks? Haven't missed any? Hats off to y'all. Stand up if you've been here for 10 weeks straight and you ain't missed none of them. Awesome. Look at, look at all these bio 10-weekers. Congratulations. How many of y'all been here one week? We got anybody been able to been here one week, bio one week? Stand up for me. No, I'm just saying. So glad that y'all are here. I hope many of you, have, if you were not here, have went back because this has been a very good, I repeat, a very, very good series as we have been dissecting the 12 apostles doing a very thorough investigation of where they came from, their, their character, and, and it's been really, really good. Uh, just to kind of recap, week one, we did an overview of the 12 apostles and how even though they were all different, that Jesus had a specific purpose for each of them. Then we started talking about them by name in order alphabetically. We started with Andrew, then we did Bartholomew, and then we studied James, the son of Alphaeus, James, the son of Zebedee. Then we studied John, the brother of James. Then we studied Judas. Then we studied Matthew. Last week we did Peter. And today we are doing Philip. So I want to just jump straight in. Mark chapter 3, verse 14 is where we're going to begin. I don't know about you guys. If you're turning there in your Bibles, I'll give you a second. If not, you can see it on the screen. But we can relate to a lot of these apostles. Some areas you relate more. Some apostles you relate more. And then there's some that you relate less to. Uh, for me, I relate a little bit to Philip in one area but a whole lot not, not like Philip in another area. So the goal is, is that you can put yourselves in, in the shoes of these different apostles and begin to glean from it that you can go out and be a better apostle, that you can be a better disciple, a better Christian. So in Mark chapter 3, it says, starting at verse 14, then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that, they might, that he might send them out to preach and have power to heal sickness, to cast out demons. These are the name of the 12. You've got Simon, who he gave the name Peter. That's who we talked about last week. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, whom he gave the name Sons of Thunder. If you don't know what that means, you can go listen to two sermons, the sermon of James and John. That's my little plug there to go back. Uh, then we talked about Andrew. Today we'll talk about Philip. We've talked about Bartholomew and Matthew. In the next couple of weeks, we'll be covering Thomas. We talked about James, the son of Alphaeus. We'll also be talking about Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite. And then there was Judas who betrayed Jesus. As I have referenced, each week there are four accounts that we continue to go back to. These four accounts list the names of the 12 apostles. It is in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. 
as we just read the account that's in Mark chapter 3, you find this same account in Matthew chapter 10, Luke chapter 6, and Acts chapter 1. In all four of these New Testament books, there is a list of the 12 apostles. As we just read, one of the apostles is Philip. I mentioned to you that you need to see the constant theme that is woven throughout these different listings and throughout the stories in the Gospels. And in all of the accounts, Peter is first. We know that Peter is the most popular of the 12 apostles, and really he's the ringleader. We also know that James and John are up there at the top as well, and these are the inner circle of Jesus. They're the ones that were invited in to Jesus' most intimate moments, and none of the others were allowed to be there. We also know the last apostle always listed was Judas. And Judas is last because he had the worst character of them all. And he betrayed Jesus. You can go back and listen to that as well. But what we see constantly through all four of these listings of the 12 apostles by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the author of Acts, who we believe to be Luke as well, you will see that Philip is always the number five, fifth listed apostle. Most people who study scriptures will tell you that the 12 apostles by name are broken into thirds. And there's four, four, and four. You always find the top four being Peter first and then James, John, and Andrew somewhere mixed in between those top four. And then there's the second group, the next four, and in every group of this second, in every listing of this second group, there is always Philip as the first one. So Philip is the fifth apostle by list. But here is an ironic thing that we need to know about Philip. Besides his name being listed in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, There is no stories about him in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. You can also look in Acts, and there are no stories of him there. So outside of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the author of Acts, writing his name in the group of 12, there is no character reference, there's no biography, there's no stories, there is nothing mentioned at all about the name Philip. Philip is only referenced in the book of John. The only book that references any stories about Philip is John. When you read Matthew, Luke, Mark, or Acts, or any other New Testament book, any of the epistles, you will hear nothing about Philip. Y'all with me? Nothing. There's nothing about Philip. With that being said, to know more about Philip... There's only one place that we can look, and where is that? John, only four of you have been listening so far. Good job. The only place that you can look is in the book of John because Matthew, Mark, and Luke and Acts don't have anything. The epistles don't reference him. So the only place to find out more is in the book of John. So before we look into the book of John, let me first say that there are two Philips in the New Testament. Everybody say two. Two. 
Okay, that's very, very important because some of you are going to leave here. You're going to go home and you're going to do your best to prove me wrong and find another Philip outside of them. So I want to just help you as you try to prove me wrong and tell you there is one more Philip. The first Philip was one of the 12 apostles. The other Philip was a deacon who became the evangelist in chapter 6 of the book of Acts. This deacon named Philip was the one who went to Samaria and preached the gospel to them. This Philip was the one who met the Ethiopian eunuch on the road and preached to him or her, and, and he got saved and was baptized. Anybody heard the story? We got just a couple. Okay. But anyway, if you read Acts chapter 4, 5, and 6, you'll begin to see that Saul was persecuting the church. Upon the persecution of the church, the apostles began to spread. And, 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 and uh, excuse me, it says that the apostles remained, but the deacons spread. And one of the deacons was Philip. Another one was Stephen. And, and that they were going in different places because of the persecution. And Philip ended in Samaria. But we need to know that this Philip... The evangelist was not the apostle Philip. There is no references of Philip at all outside of the book of John. Don't forget, Philip in the Gospels is different than the Philip in the book of Acts. All right? Okay. So the Philip in the Gospels is different than the Philip in the book of Acts. Matter of fact, the deacon Philip is never mentioned before Pentecost. But the apostle Philip is never mentioned after Pentecost. Now, no, there's no, nothing there about backslid, what happened, apostle, deacon, what, no, none of that. Right? Don't read too far into it. Here's all you need to know. After Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, if you hear the name Philip, it's referencing the deacon. Say, oh, okay, I get it. And if you read of Philip post-Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, it's talking about the apostle. Say, oh, I get that too. All right, cool. Thank you. I'm glad we're all on the same page. Now, we can jump on in. The first thing I want you to know about Philip is Jesus found Philip. Everybody say found. That's important, found Philip. That's why I actually made it bold there because some of you are having a hard time to see, and I want to make sure that you get it. If you didn't get anything else, just get this. He found Philip. He found him. Look what it says in John chapter 1 and 43. It says, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, now this is really where we are introduced to Philip. You're not going to get this in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. You're not going to get this in Acts. Only in John is he showing us how Philip became an apostle. Okay, so I want us to see this because Philip, according to what John says, Philip did not search for Jesus, but Jesus searched for him. Y'all read that, right? And he found Philip. Jesus found Philip. Philip did not accidentally run into Jesus. Philip didn't. Just, you know, coincidentally be at the right place at the right time and, and bumped into Jesus and he became the, the, the fifth apostle. Philip encountered Jesus, but it was intentional. It was deliberate. It wasn't an accident that he ran into Jesus because the reality is the Bible says that Jesus found Philip. 
Now, this is very important. I know you read this. You've read this a hundred times, and you never really got this out of it. To be quite honest with you, I never got it either. But I began to look up the Greek word here for the, for the word found. Because, you know, our English language is a lot, less, a lot more shallow than the, the Greek language. And when you look up this word found, or as the King James says, findeth, Jesus findeth Philip. When you look up this word findeth or found in the Greek, you see something that is so encouraging to us. What it means is find or especially searching after. And it means diligent and concentrated search. Diligent and concentrated search. So if we read this again, what we would say is the following day Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he made a concentrated, diligent search to find Philip. See, according to the Greek, what it is saying is that Jesus went out of his way and specifically was hunting down Philip and had Philip in mind. It wasn't like he just happened to be going to the town and because Philip was in the right place at the right time, he stumbled across and found him. It's not like he found $20. So you got to understand the difference here. See, because I say I found $20, that's accidental. But this doesn't mean I accidentally found Philip. See, Jesus deliberately and intentionally and with a focus went out pursuing Philip. See, we read this a whole lot, but when you really begin to think about it, what happens in our heads and hearts is we find out that Jesus was deliberate and intentional and had a concentrated focus on winning Philip to himself. Isn't it a whole lot better to know that accidentally Jesus didn't love you, but he intentionally, deliberately sought you out with everything he had in you, in him. It, doesn't that sound a little bit better? I mean, I mean, it's great to accidentally find 20 bucks. But it's a whole lot better when you know that Jesus intentionally found and sought you out. See, we have all of these scriptures that we've heard of. Let me tell you a couple, of, a couple of them. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, right? And we know that's true. The more we seek God and we hunger after God, the more God's going to give and reveal to us. We know the scripture that says, seek and you shall find, right? But can I tell you on this day, Philip was not seeking Philip was not looking. He was much like Matthew, the tax collector, who was doing his daily work collecting taxes. And Jesus encountered Matthew in the middle of his secular work job. Got, gotcha? In the secular middle of his vocation, doing what he does, Jesus shows up. And now here we read the same thing, that Jesus was intentionally seeking out Philip. And this is important because what we need to see is that Jesus found Philip. I know we say you seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be open. If you seek me with all of your heart, you'll, be found, you'll find me. And we, yes, I know all these are true, but can I tell you that God is so amazing that even when we are not seeking him, that he loves us so much that he's deliberately and intentionally seeking us. Jesus was, dil was diligent and with concentrated focus searching out Philip. 
I bet you there's some people in the building today that can say, you know what, I wasn't even thinking about God when he started pursuing me. The last thing on my mind was quitting drinking or smoking or getting high or going to church or getting my life together. I I was messed up, Pastor. But Jesus pursued me with all diligence, with a consecrated focus, and he pursued me. He hunted me down. I wanted nothing to do with him, but by the grace of God, he pursued me anyway. Kind of like Paul wrote when he said that God demonstrates his own love towards us, that while we... We were still yet sinners. Christ died for us. That means in the midst of your jacked up ways, while you wanted nothing to do with him, he was steady pursuing you. See, it's not an accident that Jesus found you. It was intentional. It was deliberate. He had a concentrated, concentrated focus. He had his eyes on you. He was zoomed in like looking through a telescope or, or a scope on a rifle. And, and he was watching you. He had you in the crosshairs of his heart. And, and he wanted to pursue you because he loved you in the midst of your mess. That's how Philip found Jesus. He didn't do anything. Jesus did it all. But the second thing I want you to see about this word found is not only did Jesus find Philip. But Philip found Nathanael. Look what it says, the very next verse. So the next verse. So first it says that Jesus found Nathanael. Or excuse me, Jesus found Philip. And then the next verse it says, Philip found Nathanael. So if you read this story, you remember from Nathanael or Bartholomew, when we were studying this together a few weeks back, we talked about how Nathanael gave his life to Jesus. We talked about the way that Nathaniel encountered Jesus was through Philip. But here now we really begin to have unlocked to us a whole much deeper revelation of this word found. Because what we're seeing actually happened was first Philip experienced a diligent love and pursuit from Jesus. And then in the next verse, now Philip takes this same diligent, pursuing, intentional love and finds Nathaniel. The same exact word is used again. So Jesus found Philip, and then Philip found Nathaniel. It doesn't mean that he accidentally stumbled upon Nathaniel and ministered to him. It means that he intentionally and deliberately went out of his way to go to Nathaniel's house to say, Hey, Jesus just found me and I come here to find you. There's a difference. See, if we're real honest about the way we evangelize and share our faith with people, it's accidental. It happens by, oh, well, by the way. It happens because the, the timing is right and, and, and the sun is aligned with the moon and, and, and everything is perfect. And, and it's like this whole moment happens and you're like, oh, I'm supposed to invite you to church. Or, oh, I'm supposed to tell you about Jesus. Or, oh, I'm supposed to pray with you. Or, oh, I'm supposed to give you a hug. Whatever your evangelistic tool is. But the problem is, is a lot of our evangelistic tools don't come out but by accident. But not Jesus. Jesus was deliberate. 
He was intentional. He was diligent. And he pursued. He woke up and made it his mission. And then after Philip encountered this heart from Jesus, he then received that same heart from Jesus. And then he went out and not accidentally stumbled across Nathaniel. He intentionally, deliberately made it his mission to share his story. Big difference. Can you understand the difference of evangelism? One's accidental, one's on purpose. One, that's your mission. The other one's like, oh, it's perfect timing. Let me share. So I wrote here the same diligent search that Jesus did to find Philip. Philip then did to Nathaniel. Can I tell you that we have to be diligent when searching for people? If you want to win your family, you need to be diligent. Oh, I pray for them. That's not enough. That, what? That's not enough. Oh, that's heresy. Oh, let me tell you. Can you imagine if all Jesus did was pray for Philip? He didn't just pray for him. He went and found him. Can you imagine if all Philip did was pray for Nathaniel? He didn't. He went and found him. Can I tell you that some of y'all got some Nathaniels and you keep praying and you need to go find them? Am I talking to somebody that, look, you need to stop praying about your, your granny and your, your auntie and your mom and your, your, your adopted children and, and this one. And you need to find them. You need to go into their world and be uncomfortable, be rubbed the wrong way, and get out of your little religious box that wasn't want to be affected by their spirits and it's dirty. And you need to go in their world and you need to find them right where they are because they're not coming here. So guess what? What? We need to go there. Oh, I'm just praying for him. I'm binding out demons. No, 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 no. Look, there's enough people praying for enough people. Get off your butt and get the spirit of Philip in you and go start sharing the message and find them. Pastor told me not to pray. That's not what I said. Our community will not change unless we are very intentional about seeking it to change. It won't change if you sit back. If you want it to change, you need to work it. We must not wait for opportunities to come. We must be diligent and have a concentrated focus and make opportunities come. People need us to be more intentional about loving and about sharing Jesus. We need to be more intentional. Oh, that's easy for you to say. No, really, it's, I mean, no, no, look, look, I, I know I stand up every week and I talk to everybody and you just do it so well, pastor. And, 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 and you know what? I, I, yes, I do at times, but I look at my dad who's 82 and he's, he's, kind of a, he's kind of a creep. He's a little weird, to be honest with you, because when you hit a certain age, you can do things and get away with them. And he's reached that age. So, like, it'll be, I'll be out with him, and he'll embarrass me. He'll, you know, we'll be at, the, like, literally Walmart, right? We're buying stuff. And, and it's like this young 30-year-old lady, and he's, like, ringing up. He's like, oh, honey, thank you so much. Gets her a big old hug. And, and I'm like, you know, if I would do that, they'd think I'm just, you know, a womanizer. And <laughs> so that doesn't work. So, th so then the flip one is like my dad, you know, he's 82 with his little jerry curl and, 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 uh, there's this big dude, right, a big, big, burly white dude. And, and I can just tell by looking at him, he don't like black people. I, I mean, you just tell. 
Now, this is a stereotype, really. I'm making this up. This is completely made up. So don't go with me on this. I'm just, you know, but I'm just trying to get this in your head because this is what we do. We're like, oh, I know they don't like people like us, right? And my dad's like, hey, buddy, how you doing? He's like, hey, you know, and he's kind of turned off and, you know, or my dad gives him this big old hug. I'm like, dad, this is weird, you know, like. You've never met this dude. You're hugging him. And, 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 but the thing is, he's 82 and he has a jerry curl. It's okay. If I did that, I'm gay. Right? Hugging me, pants kind of tight, he gay. Straight up. Right? It don't work. Like, either way, I, I'm like, I just can't do it. And, but why do I share this with you? I share this with you because I watch him. I stand back and watch him interact with people and he really has no shame in his game. He doesn't care. And and what I realize is all of us can convince ourselves that we can't do it like Philip because if we do, we're going to have to face this, this, and this. So then we stop being loving because we may look like a creep. Well, we don't, we don't want to be too nice because we may look like we're hitting on them. Well, we don't, we don't want to hold the door open too long because we may look like a pushover. So then we stop being intentional about finding people because of our own embarrassment. And, and I say that because I have to push myself to get out there. For example, I'm going to use uh, KP as, as an example. There's more, but I'm going to use her, Crystal. You maybe don't know her. But um, I saw her at the coffee shop, and I was like, man, I said, I really felt led to talk to Crystal. And, uh, and I was like, well, this could go really bad. She's in her 20s. I'm going to say hi, and I'm going to get the label. When you're light-skinned, <laughs> under 40, and dressed good, you're either gay or a womanizer. Every time I talk about, I got four kids, and then I have to say by one woman all the time. I have to. Right? Because, I mean, it is what it is. So I approach I'm like, all right, who knows this? going to go. I'm going to do it. So I'm like, hey, what's up? How you doing? My daughter would love your hair because that's what made me stick out. Like her hair was all big like Hadassah's hair. She's like, oh, okay, cool. And next thing you know, we start talking for like 20 minutes or so about life and then church and blase, blase. And then at the end, I really felt led to connect her with someone, um, Aaron. So I got to ask the question, can I have your number? So I'm like, this is going to be a little creepy, and if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. Remember that, Crystal? Uh, I was like, but, but, you know, really, I feel like I'd like to connect you to somebody. I don't kind of, you know, I'm young, and look at this. I got four kids, one wife, here she is. Um, can I have your number? I, I mean, I won't text you at all if you don't want me to. I'll forward it straight on. You'll never hear from me. And she's like, no, it's fine. I'm like, okay, cool. So I got her number, and then the next thing you know, her and Aaron became like best friends, right? And, and, and now Crystal is here, and, and it's like, and stuff is happening. But I say that because we as people need to be intentional about ministering to people where they are and you can start a conversation with absolutely anything, anything. If they've got a blue shirt on but you don't like hockey but you want to find them, start talking about hockey even though you've never watched it. Right? I mean, do whatever it takes because if we're going to find people, we need to be uh, diligent and intentional about finding them. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Okay. All right. Now we got that out the way. Here we go. Next part. This is the good stuff. 
So here's what I want to know. Philip was the exact opposite of Peter, James, and John. So remember I told you that I was kind of like Philip, but in other ways not. I was like Philip because I, I tried to be intentional about finding people. But how I'm not like Philip is this next part. Okay, Philip was the exact opposite of Peter, James, and John. The exact opposite. So as we have discussed prior when looking at Peter, James, and John, these three apostles did not lack self-confidence. If you haven't listened to these messages, I challenge you to go back. Peter, James, and John, uh-uh. They did not lack self-confidence. They were very confident and they were very decisive. They knew what they wanted. They spoke their mind. They were witty. They knew what they wanted and they would tell you in a minute. They had Jesus' back and what nobody getting in the way. They were leaders, straight up. Peter, James, John were leaders. They didn't need to be taught how to lead. They knew how to lead. They needed to be taught how to realign their leadership. But they were leaders. Matter of fact, Jesus had to teach these three apostles to chill. He said, y'all are sons of thunder. You talk too much. You put your foot in your mouth. Your passion is so, so boisterous and, and, and so over the top. I need to chill you down and I need to correct your leadership. He had to teach them grace. Jesus also had to teach them how to relax and let him lead rather than them trying to lead all the time. He'd have to put them back in their place and say, James, just chill, 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 Walty. Chill out, bro, chill. Peter, relax. I got this. I got this. But Philip, on the other hand, see, he wasn't the leader like Peter, James, and John. See, Philip was indecisive. He lacked leadership skills and wasn't as fast on his feet. He, you know, Peter fast on his feet. He's witty, right? You say something, he's got something to say back. Now, it might not be right, but he's got something to say. He will fix anything. He'll fix it quick. May not fix it right. But he's got something. But, but that's not Philip. Philip's not the witty one. Philip's not the one that's quick on his feet, always got something to say like Kyra. She, Kyra's joined the church today, if y'all. So, so you got people like that, and, and then you got other people. You know what I'm talking about, Kyra. She got the spirit of James, Peter, and John. This is not a bad thing. But Philip, on the other hand, was a little bit more indecisive, didn't know what he wanted, wasn't quite as quick on his feet, couldn't react, wasn't witty. He didn't quite have it like the others had it. This is very important that we grasp. We need to grasp this right now. Not every apostle had the gift of leadership. Look, we, I need you to get this. This is important. Not every apostle had the gift of leadership. Not every apostle was like Peter, James, and John. Remember we talked about Andrew? Behind the scene guys, never preached on the big stage. Only ministered to people one-on-one. -on -one. You know, we talked about others whose name was never even referenced in the Bible. See, but the thing is we need to see is not all of them were naturally gifted leaders. Some are just born with the gift. They've been leading all their life. Others have to work very hard to lead. And some people, even working hard to lead, they're just not that person. Can I tell you that not everyone is supposed to be leading everything? 
Not everyone can be a pastor. Not everyone can be a CEO. Not everyone can be managers. Not everyone can be supervisors. We need people operating in all positions of life and no one is greater than any other. We're all the same. But what has happened in our culture is we begin to put more emphasis on certain positions as if they're more important than others. So then we start praising the president, washing the feet of the king, giving glory, carrying the Bible of the pastor, and thinking that people in high positions have no sin. And then us little people are just little people. But what we need to realize in the kingdom of God, it's all like this. And God has given us all different giftings, but we're all one in the same. It's called equality, equity. We're all one in this game. There's no different. Yes, you're the voice piece. Yes, maybe you're the one that's getting a little more recognition. But at the end, every person is just as important and just as necessary. And not any, everyone will have the gift to be CEO. I know many pastors who were a second or third in command, then they became a pastor and said, I realized that pastoring wasn't for me, and they went back to being a second or third in command. I know people who've opened businesses. They've been CEOs of companies, and then they realized shortly after, that's not for me. I'm good punching in and punching out. Because not everyone is called or gifted to be a leader. Yes, we're all to lead our families. Yes, we're all to make an influence in our circles. Come on. Don't take my scripture out of, ser- out of context or my sermon out of context. So I just felt like I had to say that to somebody real quick. Yes, we are all to be leading our family, making a difference, leading people to Jesus, but we are not all going to have the gift of administration and leadership. It's a gift that God gives you, and not everyone has it. You know, I only got eight amens, because everybody wants it. You are going to blossom if you realize that you are one or not one. Rather than trying to be something that you're not. If you're a leader and you're called to lead masses of people, do it and celebrate it. If you're not, you're going to be better off staying in your lane. But if you are called to be a leader but you're scared to do it, you need to get in your lane as well and start leading the masses. See, so Philip wasn't quite like Peter, James, and John. They had the gift naturally. You don't have to be Peter. You don't have to be James. And you don't have to be John. Can I tell you a little bit more personal or a little bit more relevant or tangible? Is you do not have to be T.D. Jakes to be effective. You do not need to be a Ray Sewell to make an impact. God wants to use you just like you are, and you don't need a big platform. You don't need a greater position. God wants you to be okay who you are and let God use you the way you are. He created you as you are and for a reason, and I believe there's a lot of Phillips trying to be Peter's. And we will never be a Peter, therefore we're always frustrated because frustration is when you expect one thing but get different results. You're frustrated because you're trying to be Peter but you're Philip. And you keep trying to lead lots of people and you don't know why they're not following you. And then you keep trying and trying and trying because your mind says you're a Peter but Jesus says you're a Philip. 
And the more you keep trying to be someone you're not, the more frustration that's going to sit in because frustration is when you expect being one thing, but you keep getting something else. Lord, I want to be a Peter. And God is saying, but you're a Philip. But Lord, I just want to be over people. But I called you to be among the people. But Lord, I just want to have a business with a hundred employees. But I called you to have a business of five. But Lord, I just want to be over a ministry and have a title and position. But I called you to be a no name. See, and the problem is, is we begin to equate our importance by what we have and who we are and how many we lead. And God is saying, I don't see Peter any more important than Philip. They're both on the team. I'm talking to somebody today, ain't I? In John 1 and 46, look what it says. All right, so I want you to get this. Remember, the point is, is that Philip was the exact opposite of Peter, James, and John. So there's only a few accounts that we get of, of Philip, and I'm going to give them to you. Here's the first one, James 1, 46. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So remember, keep it real quick. So what happened was Jesus came to, to, to Philip and found him. And then Philip, in his excitement and in his passion, he now goes back to find Nathanael. And he says, Nathanael, boy, you ain't going to believe it, but guess what happened? I just found the Messiah, the King of Kings, the one the Bible's been talking about for thousands of years. You remember the one Abraham talked about? You remember the one Jacob talked about? You remember the one David talked about? You know in the Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, oh yeah, I found him and he is in Nazareth. And look what he said. He says, can, he said, can anything good, that's what he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Is it possible that you really met the King of kings and Lord of lords. And look what he says. Now, this is important. He says, come and see. Now, here's why this is so important. If this would have been Peter, James, or John, they would not have said, come and see. They would have put them in their place quick. How dare you question my authority? Who am I? Let me tell you why in Isaiah chapter 43 and 19 it says, and in this book in here it says, and I saw him and he did this. He perceived this. He did this. I know that he's the king of kings and he's the promised one that the Bible's been talking about and I can prove it. And he would have responded quick and witty because he was on his feet ready to go. That was Peter, James, and John, but not Philip. Philip did not have a response to Nathaniel. The only thing Philip could say was, oh, well, you, 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 you just need to come and see. Why do I say that to you? I say that to you because I believe that it is very important that we see that what I believe is in this scripture, Philip knew that he did not have the ability to articulate the message to lead them, him to Jesus. So he thought the best thing that he could do was do what he could do. And what he could do was get him to Jesus. So rather than him trying to be Peter, James, or John, he stayed in his lane and said, I don't know, bro. You just need to follow me. See, some of you are going to begin to go out and find some of your family members, some of your friends, your co-workers, and you're going to start getting in conversations, and the reality is, is you may not have the answers, and then you get intimidated and feel like, oh, I need to have the answers because I don't want them to think I'm stupid, so then you start going to the, you're like, hold on, I'll be back, I'll go to the bathroom. Then you go to the bathroom and start getting on answers on, the, on your phone through Google, and you know, because you want to have good answers and stuff, because what's, what you're doing is, is you're not confident being a Philip, and you want to be a Peter. And you want them to think you're a Peter. So instead of you saying, well, honestly, I don't really know, but I know this cat that might. 
And, and you know, I, I really don't know, but, but I tell you one thing, diversity changed my life. I, I really can't explain it, and I don't know how it's working, but I'm telling you, God's doing something. And, and, and you know, I would like to give you an answer like Peter, James, or John, but you got to settle because I'm a filler. So all I'm going to do is tell you that Jesus found me, I found you, and I want you to find him. Come on. I think part of the problem is we are so wanting to be like the next good person who can speak and minister and lead that we never feel like we're good enough. So instead of us evangelizing like Philip, we want to evangelize like Peter. But because you're not good enough like Peter, you just settle with never evangelizing. Does that make sense? You don't need to evangelize like Peter. You just need to evangelize like Philip. The way I connect with people, you won't connect with people. You're not supposed to. You want to know why? You're not supposed to be a little Ray. You're supposed to be a little Jesus. And Jesus comes in all shapes and forms with different personalities, but one character. The character of Jesus should go into your workplace, into your family, among your friends, and it'll be the same personality, the same timid spirit, but you will still be able to at least say, if nothing else, come and see. The reason a lot of you cannot evangelize is because you keep wanting to evangelize like Peter instead of doing it like Philip. John chapter 12 and 20, look what it says. It says, now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast about the Passover. Then they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida of Galilee and asked him saying, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Two things I want you to get from this. Number one, Philip is, is a Greek name. One of the things that's ironic about Philip's name, he's the only one of the 12 apostles who had a name that wasn't Hebrew. Philip was Greek. They, met, they, they lived among a time where the, the Greek language was being spoken and, and, and the Roman Empire and, and the Greek influence, Roman influence, so on and so forth. And, and Philip had a Greek name. Many believe that the reason the Greeks came and asked Philip the question is because Philip had a name that was Greek and the Greeks thought that they could better relate to Philip than they could someone else. We don't know that to be true. That's just speculation. But what we see here is what happens is there were some Greeks, non-Hebrews, and these non-Hebrew Greeks came up and they asked a question of Philip. And they said, hey, we got a question. We want to see Jesus. Can we see him? Now look what the answer is. Philip came and told Andrew. Stop right there. Philip came and told Andrew. If this would have been Peter, James, and John, they wouldn't have had to tell nobody. They would have took care of themselves. You got to go back and listen to the sermons on Peter, James, and John to catch it, especially James and John. James and John was putting people in place. He was calling down fire, wanting people to die. You ain't right. We're going to cut something. We're going to do something, right? I mean, they, they just on it. They're, they're on it. I mean, if they, either, either A, they're going to make the call and say, oh, yeah, you can come on in and they ain't going to ask nobody. They're not going to ask the other 11 apostles because they're a leader and they, and they think they know better. And, and they're just going to go straight to the source because Jesus is my homeboy. And if you want to meet him, I got you. But the flip side is, is if they don't like you and you come and you're like, hey, I want to talk to you. No. That's my dude, not your dude. That's my dude, that's my dude, mine. And they did that. Go back and listen to it. They did that. They literally did that. Jesus, we met people, and they were casting out demons in your name. And Jesus said, look, if they're not against us, they're for us. And here these Greeks showed up on the scene, and if it would have been a leader, uh, Peter, James, or John, they would have immediately 
resolved the situation. Taking them to Jesus or telling them no. But not Philip. Philip couldn't give him a yes and he couldn't give him a no. He was indecisive. Instead, he turned and went and went to answers. Hold on. I, I really don't know. Hold on a second, guys. Hey, Andrew, I got a question for you. Oh, there's some guys over here. They're Greeks, and I think they like me because I'm Greek. My name's Philip. Yeah, I don't know if you knew that, but yeah, and you know what? They want to meet Jesus. What do you think? Andrew's like, heck yeah, if they want to meet Jesus, let's take them to Jesus. Nathaniel encountered the grace of God through Philip, but now you move on and you see beyond that that Philip is really indecisive. He, he's a bit insecure almost. I mean, I really don't know. You need to come and see yourself. And then he turns around and says, I, I really don't know if I can take you to Jesus. Um, let me go ask Andrew. And now you see another scripture, John 14 and 7. It says in verse 7 through 9, if you had known me, Jesus is talking. If you would have known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. So he's saying, look, if you would have known me, you would have known my father. He says, but from now on, since you've known me, you've known him. Because when you look at the father, you're looking at me. I I am him. He is me. And then Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said, I have been with you so long, yet you have not known me. Philip, he who has seen me has seen the father. So he can, so how can you say, show us the Father? So, so really what's happening is this is the chapter where Jesus is saying, Jesus is talking about, uh, you know, the mansion in, in heaven and, and being blessed and, and I, you know, talking about who is revealing his deity. Uh, no, no, I think this is where he's talking where he revealed his deity in chapter 10. So he's revealing who he is and, and, and that he is, is the son of God and he is one with the father. And, and, and now he's saying, look, if you've seen me, you've seen the father, me and the father are one. And Philip is a little bit reluctant. You know, he's kind of not digging it for real. And he says, look, I know what you're saying. You're saying if I seen you, I seen the Father. He's like, can I say to you, um, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. He's like, show you the Father and it's sufficient for you. Think about this. Jesus is sitting there saying, I have been around since the beginning of time. I'm God. I'm the Word of God. Everything that God is, I am because I'm the, one, I'm the Word of God. The world was created by the Word. I am the Word. Therefore, the world's been created by me. And then thousands of years later, the word became flesh, which is me. Hello, hi. And when you see me, you see God because me and God are one. I'm just the the physical representation, the manifestation of God in flesh. And Jesus says, when you see me, you see God. And instead of him saying, wow, I saw the Lord. I saw God. I would have jumped up and been like, I've seen God. I've been with this dude three years and never knew it. I've been watching the Lord for three years. And then he says, Lord, show us the Father. And this will be sufficient for us. What? I'm, I'm, I'm catching what I'm thinking right now. What I really thought I can't say. I mean, it's not bad. I would say it down there, but sometimes I got to say it in the hood because, you know, you got to relate to people, but I I can't say it right now. Like, please, bro, you better, look, what you talking about? If, if I, look, if I'm telling you I am the father, why do I need to show you the father? You talking about it'll be sufficient for you if I see it. 
So what he's saying is, is you've already seen me. And he says, now, I know you're telling me I've seen you, but if I see him, I'll be, it'll be sufficient. It's kind of like us if we think about it. A lot of times we're like, Lord, I need signs. I need this. I need that. If you could just do this, it'll be sufficient. And God's saying, what are you talking about? Why in the world do you need another sign for it to be sufficient? I have delivered you. I have freed you. I've, I've brought you out. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this and this and this and this. And you talking about if I do one more thing, it'll be sufficient. What? I shouldn't need to do anything for you to believe in me because I called you when you were a no-name. I knew you before you knew yourself. I found you and was intentional about finding you. And now you want me to prove to you that I'm the Father and reveal the Father to prove I am He. See, we always talk about Thomas doubting, but can I tell you that Thomas wasn't the only one that doubted? Can I tell you that, that Philip was also doubting? He's like, look, Lord, I, I just, if you can just let me see something, that'll be sufficient. Jesus says, I ain't showing you nothing because what I have already shown you is sufficient enough. I've been with you for a long time. You've been watching me do miracles for three years. You heard me say, Lazarus, come forth, and he came up from the dead. He was dead for four days and lived again. You saw me heal your family, deliver the sick, bring sight to the blind, bring healing to the lame. And you're talking about you need one more sign. I'm not doing nothing else. If you didn't get enough on this one, this one, this one, this one, and this one, then you won't believe in me. Because better is someone that believes and has not seen than me have to keep showing you that you can believe. How many times do we ask God for just one more sign? Oh, I need one more sign. Lord, I know they ain't right for me. I know I'm supposed to leave them, but I need one more sign. Lord, I know I ain't supposed to be doing this. I know it's hurting me, but I need one more sign. I just need one more sign. And I, I just me imagine Jesus saying, you were stubborn and Philip, I'm not giving you no more signs. The first time he hit you should have been enough. The first time he cheated on you and it ain't your husband should have been enough. Right? The, the, the first time neglect, abuse, lies, betrayal, betray, should have been enough. But, but for some reason, we keep wanting one more and one more and one more and one more and one more. And the reason that is is because Philip lacked the ability to have decisiveness and see in the spirit. That's why the last point is this. Philip relied on his mental calculations over faith calculations. This is important. Philip relied on his mental calculations over his faith calculations. Philip was the guy that had the tendency to view things with his eyes, with his own abilities, with common sense. With logic. Now, look, I'm very logical, very rational, very analytical. I measure. I, 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 make, I take lots of notes. I have a check system. I know what I'm doing next week. My week next week and the following is completely planned out. 
The Holy Spirit, my wife, and my calendar on Google lead me. That's why when people say, can I meet with you this week? Usually, the answer is no. Because I don't like flying by the seat of my pants. And a lot of times it causes me to never have meetings with some of y'all because all you do is fly by the seat of your pants. So, <laughs> But I say that because I am very calculated. Everything I do has to make sense. I plan it out. It's strategic, strategic planning. Develop a plan, prove me and convince me that it's right, and then we'll move forward. But you cannot get lost in mental calculations and never bring God into your calculations. You have to always think beyond what your brain can think and do. You make a list, you write a vision, you make it plain, you study hard, you develop the whole process, but then you pray and say, Lord, what do I do? The problem was is Philip did the first section but never did the second section. Let's look at John chapter 6. It says this in my closing verse. It says in verse 5, Jesus said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, just so you don't get confused, this is what I always call the world's most famous fish fry. This is where Jesus is preaching to the multitudes. He can tell that they are hungry. They've been listening all day, soaking up this free seminar, workshop, free teaching. And, and Jesus was moved with compassion and said, man, I want to feed these people. So then, in his amazing grace, he decided to feed them. And it says that Jesus said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now look what it says here. But he was testing him, for he himself knew what he would do. This is important. Jesus says, hey, Philip, I got a question. I want to buy bread that we can feed these people. They've been here all day. And he says, but this Jesus said to test him. Because Jesus himself already knew what he was going to do. Sometimes Jesus puts the ball in our court, but he already knows what he's going to do. Jesus already knew how he was going to provide. Matter of fact, only thing Jesus needed was a willing vessel. Jesus asked Moses to go and that he would be the mouthpiece for God. But Moses said, oh, Lord, no, I can't do it. Send someone else. And then God, in his anger, said, fine, I'll send Aaron. Why do I say that to you? Because if what Moses would have been available, God would have made him able. But because Moses wasn't available, he had to use Aaron. Not because Aaron was more capable but because Aaron was available. It's not about ability. It's about availability. Moses wasn't available. Therefore, he had to send Aaron. Y'all with me? Okay, now, now we go to this story. Philip was available. But he had to use a little boy. Y'all hear me? Philip was there and available... But he said, no, 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 I'm not available. 
And since he didn't make himself available, though he was there, there was no ability in him that God could work through. See, God doesn't need you to have all the resources. All he needs to know is, are you available? He doesn't need you to have the capability, the resume, it all worked out and planned out in a strategic plan and all the gifts and the anointing. All he needs to know is you are available and that you believe in your mind that he can do more than what your own mind can calculate. See, so we asked him a question. He says, Philip, I got a question for you. All these people out here, we want to feed them. We just fed them spiritually. Now we want to feed them naturally. He says, what you think? But he was only doing it because he wanted to find out if he was available. And when he asked him if he was available, he said this. He said, Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little food. What he was saying is, the little bit of money that I'm working with, what we, what we got, the, the thing that I'm thinking about, what, what, I, I just, it, it's not enough. I, I know you're asking me to help you produce a miracle. But can I tell you the resources that I have are not enough for what you're asking for? I need somebody to get this as we close. There's some Phillips here today. And Jesus is telling you something he has for you to do. And and rather than you saying, Lord, I'm, I'm available, I'm not capable I'm not able, I don't have the resources, but I'm available. And instead of that, what Philip did was he says, I can't do it. Now, now me, you know, what I want to say, I don't, I don't always do this, but what I want to say is, God, I'm working with 200 denarii. You can do whatever you want through it. Here's what it, here's what it is. Here's what it is, because the reality is, is, is you've already revealed to me that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that all knees must bow to you, and that you can do anything. You've turned water into wine, you've healed, you delivered, you set free. I know that you can do absolutely anything. You're the Word of God. You are God, your Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You are, you are. Jesus, I know that you are absolutely everything. All I got is, is some lint hair up in my pocket. That's it. But, but I know lint hair and availability will do something awesome. Right? But, but now Philip. Philip said, bro, I'm going to be honest with you, Jesus. I've been broke all my life. Bro, I could work all year and couldn't feed these people. I don't know what you're going to do. I know I'm with the creator of all things, but I, I mean, I, I'm just going to be 100 with you. I can't do it. My education, kind of low. I've never been a great reader. Can't really write well. I don't really know sentence structure. I'm not good with technology. I never got out of eighth grade. I never got out of an associate's degree. I ended right here. Well, you know, I'm pretty good, but not great. Now, I'm kind of a behind-the-scenes person. Now, you know what? I just, uh, no, not me. And what happens is we stop making ourselves available. Therefore, God stops providing the capability to do so. So what we need to realize is that Philip missed an opportunity. Jesus was testing him. Did you know the one that actually manifested the blessing in partnership with Jesus was a little boy? Think about that. You you know the scripture where it says that, 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 that we need to have childlike faith? 
See, because when you're a little kid, man, you got to understand something. I, I could not today take my kids to Disney World. Couldn't do it. I mean, I could drive them to Disney World and we stand out front and look at it. But it's, it's like 150 bucks per person per day. And I got a family of six. And that's not counting the smoked turkey legs that are like $18 a person. We can't do it. Period. Flat out. No, I mean, look, flat out. Can't do it. So, but I could tell my children tonight, next week we're going to Disney World. And they are going to 150% believe me. They're not going to ask where the money comes from. How is it possible? Dad, can we really do it? Because they believe what their daddy says. They've trusted me. They've seen me bring provision for them for so long that they would not even question. If I told them that we're going to Disney World in a couple of weeks, they would be excited and wait in anticipation because they trust their daddy. Period. But how many times does Jesus come and say to us, I'm going to take you to Disney World. I, I, I got a plan for your life. I, I'm going to bless you. I, I've, I've got someone waiting for you. I've, I've got a ministry for you. I got a job for you. I got a business for you. I've got something I'm going to do for you. And the moment we hear those words spoken, we leave and walk away and say to ourselves, I know my daddy's good, but I just don't believe him. Not me. See, see, my natural kids know to believe their daddy. But yet for some reason we have a hard time believing our spiritual daddy who says that he loves us and he has a plan for us and he's going to bless us and he's going to cultivate our hearts and, and enrich us and, and do great things in us. And we need to somehow get back to the place where we believe whatever he says. And if he says we can feed the multitudes, but all we have is 200 denarii, then we say, Lord, I'm going to feed the multitudes, and we start feeding. We're going to see things like the widow of Elijah and the, and, and the jar never running out. We're going to see it like he's at the brook of Cherith, and the water continues to run, and he's fed by a raven. We're going to see things like the Israelites in slavery, yet they keep blossoming, because what God does is when he sees someone who believes him, and they make themselves available even though they have nothing to offer. God will come in and bless your childlike faith and do like he did to that little boy and take your couple loaves and your few fish and he'll turn it into feeding the masses. Can I tell you that we need to be people who say, Lord, I don't have a whole lot to offer you, but I'm available. No need is too great for the God that we serve. Do y'all hear me we must trust God's divinity over our common sense do you hear me we need to trust God's divinity and his sovereignty over our own common sense there's an old song that goes something like this I'm not good at singing but I'm gonna sing it anyway <clears throat> can I get a C C this message. I don't sing. But it says, little is much when God is in it. Has anybody ever heard of that? Little is much when God is in it. 
Anybody heard that? No? How many people, how many church people we got here that's heard that? I know church folk know that. I, I, am, I thank God for a whole bunch of people that don't know it. Because that means we're winning new people who ain't been in church their whole life. Amen. There's an old song that I used to hear sung by old timers that says, Little is much when God is in it. Can I tell you that your little is a lot when you bring God into the equation? The mathematics of God is not like human mathematics. One plus one may equal two here. But one plus one, you being one and God being the other, can feed the masses. And we need to start seeing, A, we may not all be Peters, James, or Johns. But B, even if I'm a Philip, that God has a great plan for me. But the ball is in my court. He will take anyone and do great things through them and with them. It's all up to us. Amen? Let's stand all over this place. I'm going to pray a prayer over us as we close. These altars are open. We would love to pray for you. If anyone says, Pastor, man, I'll be honest with you, I can completely relate to Philip. And sometimes I doubt myself so much. And I really wonder, can God do in me what God did in Peter and and T.D. Jakes or you or others? If that's you, I really want to open this up. Because my goal in this message is to help you break indecisiveness, insecurities, those, those lying voices in your head that says you will never be that. And that you will just operate the way you are and that you will know God's got a plan for your life. If you say, I just want to know God and I want to walk in the plan of God, whether it's Peter, James, or John, Andrew, or Bartholomew, if, 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 if it's, if it's um, Philip, I, I don't care. I just want to be in the will of God and available for God. Can you just raise your hand if that's you? You just want to be available. Just raise your hand and say, I want to be available. I want to be available. God, all these hands, they want to be available. We know that we may not be Peters. We may not all preach on big stages. We may not all be in management. We may not all be supervisors. We may not all have, have, have doctor at, the, at our name or, 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 or masters or bachelors. We may not all articulate our words as well as others. But Lord, we all have a part that we play. And Father, my prayer is that you are raising a standard in each of us. That we will celebrate who we are, God. And that we will be available for the plan you have, God. Help us to not be like Peter and, or like Philip and fail the test. But help us be like that little boy that walked up and believed that Jesus could do the impossible. I'm praying for some childlike faith to begin to stir in the building today. That people's going to begin to believe in you more than they've ever believed.
believed in you before. That they won't judge themselves based off their education, based off their title, based off their bank accounts, but they will look at you and say, he is my daddy and he loves me. And if he said it, I can do it. I trust him at his word because he's a good, good father. Lord, I'm praying there's children all in this building that are coming up to the altar with their loaves and their fists, Lord, and they're laying their little at the altar and they're singing little is much when God is in it, Lord. That's my prayer. That you will work with this little and make it an abundance, Lord. God, help us to be intentional about evangelism. Help us to find people. Not passively. Not, a, not, not an oh, by the way, coincidentally. But help us to be diligently seeking for people. Every good quality of Philip, I pray upon the people of God. Every hindering quality of Philip, I pray and cancel in the name of Jesus upon the people of God. I pray everything, every lesson that Philip had to learn the hard way and even things he died with having that were not good, I pray that they will be loosed off of you and that you will begin to be secure people confident people, that you'll be encouraged people, that you'll know that you can do anything that God calls you to. I bind every lying spirit that says you are worthless and will never accomplish and that you will never amount to others. I bind that lying spirit in the name of Jesus and I lose confidence on you. Who cares if you can't read beyond a seventh grade education? Who cares if you're overweight or you can't walk good? Who cares if you don't have a six-pack or you can't bench 300 pounds? Who cares if you don't look as good as you used to look? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I pray the blessings of God over the lives of every one of you in the name of Jesus. Can we sing, you're a good, good father? That's what we're closing with. Let's sing this song together. It says, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. We're going to sing this together. Thank you for joining us, and we hope this message blessed you. 